Welcome to the Wealth Inequality Initiative podcast, shedding light on wealth inequality through exceptional personalities from around the world. Today, Natalie Jean-Baptiste, Senior Programme Manager, Wealth Inequality at the Julius Baer Foundation, meets Kate Pickett, Professor of Epidemiology in the Department of Health Sciences at the University of York. Professor Pickett unveils the deep connection between inequality and poor health and how it affects the underprivileged and the wealthy alike. Hello, everybody. I'm Nathalie Jean-Baptiste. I'm Senior Program Manager for Wealth Inequality at the Julius Baer Foundation. And I'm extremely happy to welcome Kate Pickett as my guest in our podcast series. Kate, a warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank for you very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. So tell me a little bit about how, how are you feeling? How are you? I'm well, thank you. And I'm very happy to join you this morning. Thanks for inviting me. You're much welcome. Kate, you are a professor of epidemiology at the Department of Health Sciences at the University of York. Your field of research is right at the center of today's global development. Tell me, what trends have you observed during the past two years? Oh, it's been such an interesting and in some ways a very distressing two years, really. We've seen the pandemic exacerbate existing health inequalities throughout the world. You know, those who were most sick or most vulnerable to being ill obviously experienced um, worse exposures and, and worse morbidity and mortality from COVID. But we've also seen economic and social inequalities exacerbated as well. Um, so there's been a huge effect of the pandemic on the economy with the most impact on the poorest and those at the bottom of society. So really, we've seen the pandemic shining a light on existing inequalities, but also making them worse. Yes, it's interesting that you say that it has, you know, um, showed or made very evident the, the existing inequalities that we live today. And linking in a little bit with health, it is apparent that also you've mentioned in the past that poor health of a person or a whole society increases inequality. But um, let's just talk a little bit uh, more about the the reversed um, aspect of it, how inequality to some extent increase poor health. What have you seen, Kate? Well, we've observed, um, and this is, you know, my own research, my research with Richard Wilkinson, but also the research of academics across the world, that societies that have bigger gaps between rich and poor higher levels of socioeconomic inequality have worse levels of population health. And that's true of almost every kind of health outcome that we look at. So it's true for life expectancy, more unequal countries and societies have lower life expectancy. They have higher infant mortality rates, higher levels of mental health problems, higher levels of obesity, higher levels of diabetes, the list goes on and on. There are one or two exceptions, 
but for almost all of the chronic causes of illness and most causes of death, we see that connection between greater inequality and higher levels of poor health. Very interesting. And you are a fellow of the Faculty of Public Health in the UK, and um, you focus on the social determinants of health. You've been studying the impact of certain variables like inequality, social classes, and, and neighborhood. I remember back in 2015, you mentioned that inequality is not only a political and social problem. Um, rather, it is strongly linked to psychology. And you've pointed out that the more unequal a country is, that you have problems of anxiety, lack of confidence, and even low self-esteem. Now, I'm wondering, back then you saw that, you've studied this, and now, seven years later, are we having the same problems? What does your research reveal? We're absolutely having the same problems, I'm, I'm sad to say. And in fact, those problems made worse with the pandemic. So it's quite straightforward, really. Um, I study the social determinants of health, as you said, and that means looking at the what we might think of as the broader health determinants or the, the, or the upstream determinants of health. So things like how society is structured, poverty, inequality, what neighborhoods are like to live in, um, the circumstances in with which people live. But obviously, for those to affect health, they've got to get into the body somehow. They've got to affect our psychology or our physiology or our health-related behaviors. And if you live in a more hierarchical, more unequal society, then it turns out you're more aware of your social status. It's, it's more salient, it's more meaningful to you. It tells other people more about you. Other people judge your social status more acutely in a more unequal society where money and status matter so much more. And so all of the things that you might think of as individual psychological determinants of health um, self-esteem, sense of agency, your locus of control, um, all of those also get affected by societal levels of inequality. So up and down the social ladder, obviously more strongly at the bottom, but also at the top, there is an impact of living in a more unequal place. And that translates into more psychological distress, more physiological chronic stress, and therefore more disease, more health problems, more mental health problems. It's impressive, Kate, um, what you just said, uh, particularly relating to the fact that the more unequal a uh, society is, the more salient and, and obvious the, these inequalities are and they affect people mentally and physically. But my question here is, why would the wealthy, the elite, be interested in changing this? Well, we can never really talk about the top, top I don't know, 
tenth of one percent at the very, very top, you know, those extremely wealthy individuals because they're never in our data sets. But if we look at the top tenth of the income distribution, you know, the 10% richest people within a society or the most educated people um, or the people with the highest social class, it is clear that they are also affected by living in a more unequal society, although not as much as those at the bottom, because that ratcheting up, that increase in the meaning of status is also affecting them. And wherever they're placed in society, there's always somebody a little bit above them. There's always somebody snapping at their heels. So they are also affected by those greater concerns about status, by the, the greater importance of material um, resources, you know, what your money says about you. So yes, even the elites are affected. Now, how we convince them of this when everything else in society is working so well for them, that's a tricky issue. And I, I, I suppose I used to think that if we can just demonstrate that they themselves would be more likely to have a chronic disease, that their children might be more likely to have a drug or alcohol problem or not do so well in school, you know, if we could demonstrate with our statistics that they were on average more likely to do better in a more equal society, even with their current levels of wealth and education, then they would want to help change things. Um, but of course, it's a lot more complicated than just showing those things. With regards to the elite and, you know, the wealthy part of society, Kate, um, what do you perhaps suggest or what do you think that that elite group might do to try to reduce, you know, the disparities in certain societies? Do you have any idea? I think for those who are wealthy now at the top of society, I think it's important that they recognize that they are rich and have those assets not just because they might be talented or hardworking, although I'm not denying that, that that might be true, but also because they will have had some luck and they will have had some support from the society they live in. So if you are a, a business owner who has done well and accumulated wealth, you probably couldn't have done that if your society didn't invest in its education system and train the people who might work for you, if it didn't invest in its business and transport infrastructure and help you move your goods around. And so I think it is incumbent on everybody who has managed to accumulate wealth and high levels of income that they give back, that they think about how they can help promote opportunities for other people, how they might help create more egalitarian companies, create opportunities within their institutions, narrow the income gap in the institutions they work in, but also network with other high net worth individuals to think about how collectively they can promote social mobility, can promote greater equality. And I think in the future, I hope we'll see less ambition, less personal ambition to accumulate 
those huge amounts of personal wealth and instead will want to be seen as somebody who promotes opportunities for others um, and promotes more social justice. People in Europe might think that questions of inequality are issues for the global south, you know, in places and mm. countries where you have um, large disparities. And I know you have done some interesting comparative studies in, in Europe and across different European countries. What can you tell us about this comparison? What, what should we be paying more attention right here in Europe? Well, you're right, of course, that it is elsewhere in the world that we see the highest levels of inequality. Um, countries in Latin America, countries in Africa have exceptionally high levels of inequality. And, and compared to, to them, the levels of inequality we see in Europe are indeed smaller. But there are enough differences between the most equal European countries and the most unequal ones for us to be able to detect the impact of inequality here. So if we take Europe, the most equal countries in Europe are the Scandinavian countries and the Netherlands, so Sweden and Denmark and Finland and Norway, um, a lot more equal than the most unequal European countries. And in Western Europe, the UK has the highest levels of inequality. And those differences surprisingly perhaps, do turn out to be related to differences in health, in well-being, in educational attainment, in social mobility, in levels of trust, all kinds of measures, even in the European context. So we're not immune to the impact of inequality. And certainly, we could see that if the more unequal European countries were to reduce their levels of inequality, to the levels of the most equal European countries, there would be a huge benefit to their populations. I think if we look at Sweden, we can see that their commitment to greater equality has been around for a long time. It was back in the 1930s that their prime minister stated a wish to make Sweden the people's home, you know, a clear commitment to create um, better sort of community life to make people feel that they belonged to their society. And what we see in Scandinavia is commitment through their tax system. So people are taxed quite highly compared to other places in Europe. But the redistribution of wealth and ill income through that tax system enables them to provide really strong social security and welfare. So if you're a single mom in the UK, for example, you're really highly likely to live in poverty and your, your child suffer all of those consequences. If you're a single mom in Sweden, you're no more likely to be in poverty than, than other families because the social security um, system is supportive and egalitarian. But it's not just tax and social security. We see a greater commitment to equality in the educational system in those countries, a commitment to providing a high quality education to everybody. And I think that once you get a taste for egalitarianism, a greater equality and the benefits it brings, 
then the population wants to protect that. Um, and I think it creates virtuous circles where it becomes more possible to have more progressive policies, more progressive politics um, when people can see the benefit. So I think it's quite widespread within those countries, um, the kinds of actions they take. But over the recent years, Sweden actually had the fastest growing inequality within the OECD countries. Um, and interestingly, we saw it, its levels of educational attainment declining comparison to other countries. We saw its health inequalities increasing. So although they have a tradition of strong egalitarianism, that is always open to challenge. It's, it's got to be protected all the time. We can't just um, think that if our country is, is striving for equality, that it will always do that. You know, we have to actively promote egalitarian policies. We have to actively seek equality. We are not immune, you say. And um, I know that beyond your research work, you are quite active on, on various fronts. You've co-founded the e Equality Trust, and mm -hmm. you've been an ambassador of the Wellbeing Economic Alliance. And between 2020 and 2021, you were also the chair of the Greater Manchester Independent Inequalities Commission, appointed by the city of Manchester. What a, what a title. I just want to have a sense of how was that, Kate, for you? That's a great question. I mean, in many ways, this is... Um traditional in public health, actually. So I, I think public health has its roots in people campaigning for change um, from its very earliest days. You know, public health researchers didn't think it was simply enough to discover that dirty water was a cause of cholera. They went out and removed the handle of, of the water pump so that people couldn't access that dirty water anymore. So I feel like I'm, I'm following a grand tradition of public health researchers who also act as campaigners and advocators. And it was a real privilege to be asked to chair the, the Greater Manchester Independent Inequalities Commission. There were seven of us um, and we spent six months looking really closely at different kinds of inequality within the city region of Greater Manchester. And that's a big place. Greater Manchester has a larger population than the country of Wales. It has a bigger economy than some Eastern European countries. So, you know, it's a large population and a big economy. And what we did was make recommendations to the combined authority, to Greater Manchester, about how they could tackle all the different kinds of inequalities within the region. So we were not just focusing on socioeconomic inequalities of income, wealth, power, education, um, access to care and support, but looking at how those interacted with what we might call demographic inequalities, so sex, age, ethnicity, disability, and helping the region to think about putting well-being first in their strategies, in everything they do, and trying to think about creating good jobs and decent pay locally, 
giving people more um, democratic voice, building wealth and retaining it in the communities, and how to sort of reorient services towards a good life. It's been about a year since we reported, and I do know that in the last election um, in May last year, when the city mayor was up for re-election, we saw a large number of our recommendations in his manifesto. And so I'm quite confident that they will have been built into his new strategy and that there will be action on the ground to tackle inequalities. But I'm very interested to see what happens next. But what is your sentiment, if I can insist on that? Are you optimistic or...? Um, (laughs) That's also a good question. Yes, I'm optimistic that there are people in power at local and regional level within the UK who really want to make a difference and want to um, improve social justice and and make the kind of progress towards a more equal society um, that we're calling for. I think they're doing it in a difficult context with our national government. But I have to say that um, I think it was yesterday or the day before we saw the publication of the levelling up white paper in the UK. So that's coming from the UK government. It's talking about reducing inequalities. It's setting targets to reduce inequalities um, and a strategy. Now, what we've not seen yet, and I suppose this is the major criticism of the national government's levelling up agenda, is we've not seen a commitment to putting the money where it is needed most. But at least the language is there. And I think we need to applaud the ambition and hope that it will lead to some concrete changes. So, yes, I'm, I'm optimistic, um, even though it might look as if I shouldn't be <laughs> at this point in time. But I think we have, to, we have to keep working for the kind of positive change we want to see in the world. And, and we ought to remember that change, social change can come quite quickly once there is um, a grassroots demand. And I think the pandemic has also given given shape to that. I hear lots of conversation about building back better, about not wasting um, the opportunities, I suppose, that the challenges of, of the pandemic have revealed to us, that we could be more connected to one another, that we could build a more equal society, and that if we do that, we will be more resilient to whatever future issues, challenges, problems we have to face. So, yes, I am optimistic at the moment. Hmm. Um, uh, thank you for that, Kate. I've, I've seen your work over the years and, and, and you've mentioned now that we are at the same stage. We have the same problems. So my, my I was wondering, are we... Oh, don't, do we need to change the, the solutions? Do we need to find the other type of actions? And uh, are we tackling the problem exactly where we need to tackle? And um, yes. Also, that, no, that's a, it is a good point. I think when we wrote The Spirit Level, which was our, our first book published in, in 2009, there really was no public discourse about inequality. There were no discussions among politicians and policymakers about the impact of inequality. 
Um, and now there are. And, and we see that at every level. So I see discussions about the problems of inequality internationally, you know, at the OECD, within various UN bodies. Um, I see it discussed by, by national governments, even those who don't seem to be pursuing a more egalitarian agenda cannot deny that inequality is a problem. And so we see the rhetoric changing, and I think that's a necessary first change. So I don't so much think we need different solutions. We just have to recognize that this is a journey and we have moved some way along that journey. Um, and the greater and more widespread recognition of the problems of inequality will lead to people trying to implement solutions at different levels, whether it's locally, nationally, internationally, and more people um, democratically demanding that change as well. Really, um, it's wonderful that you say that, Kate, because at the Julius Baer Foundation, we have embarked on that journey as well. And it's been great to talk to you about it and to discuss these, to see where do we need to put um, a more focus on. But I do have one last question, Kate. If you could have a chat with anyone in the world on wealth inequality, who would that be? Oh, that's such a great question. I think I would probably pick one of the excessively wealthy billionaires who are currently, to my mind, wasting their money in a space race and trying to take wealthy clients um, up off our planet into space. And I would try to persuade them to instead become a leader for greater equality, starting with their own divestment of their own immense wealth um, and try and persuade them to lead their counterparts, their fellow billionaires, um, to understand that this is, this is not the way to create a better planet. This is not the way to create more well-being for everybody everywhere and to try and persuade them to become champions for equality. So Kate, I suppose you mean Elon Musk, don't you? I mean him and people like him. All right, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. And I hope that was really, really interesting to talk to you. And then we'll see you soon, hopefully, um, at, at another time so we can have another wonderful discussion about inequalities in health. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Inequality Initiative podcast. What did you think of this episode? Please go to www.wealth-inequality.net to share your thoughts and comments and for more insights into the pressing issue of wealth inequality.